0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, January 7th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Writers White Tran Bui.
1: Hey, everyone.
0: And Chris Evangelista.
2: Hello, folks.
0: All right, guys, so our first news episode of the year, first news episode in a long time. Um, So some of this stuff is pretty recent. Some of it is maybe going back a few days. Um, I just wanted to make sure we touched on a lot of these uh, topics. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into some interesting conversations here. But uh, Brad, let's kick things off with the Golden Globes. You covered those this past weekend. Um, What were some of the big takeaways from the Golden Globes for you? And I guess as a separate question, what did you think about the ceremony at large?
3: Uh, the ceremony itself was kind of whatever, as the Golden Globes usually are. You know, it, it's mostly a big party for celebrities to just have fun and glad hand and congratulate each other. Uh, this one was made, I guess you could say, controversial by the fact that uh, Ricky Gervais's monologue really seemed to like try and take like legitimate hits at Hollywood, as opposed to being his more playfully snarky. Uh, self. He really just seemed pissed off and angry to be there, and he had a couple jokes land, but otherwise a lot of his material felt stale and venomous, and it's the kind of thing where I feel like you can tell when a set has gone sour when you're getting a bunch of support from Trump supporters. So, yeah, wasn't wasn't very good, and keep in mind this is coming from somebody who generally... Enjoys Ricky Gervais's smarmy, sarcastic, arrogant kind of stand-up and his uh, TV shows like like Extras and whatnot, and I just was not not really up for what he was tossing out there during the ceremony. Mm. Um, but more importantly, uh, the awards themselves um, ended up being kind of interesting simply because uh, 1917 and director Sam Mendes pulled out big wins for Best Motion Picture Drama and Best Director. And uh, while there has been support for this movie during award season, there was no buzz that indicated that either the movie or Sam Mendes were frontrunners in either of those categories. Granted, the Golden Globes aren't really good prognosticators of the Academy Awards, but that win has kind of projected the movie into the awards spotlight a little bit more. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if it gets uh, a lot of Academy Award love once the nominations for the Oscars are announced. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, otherwise, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, had a pretty decent showing. Uh, Brad Pitt picked up an award. Quentin Tarantino got one for his screenplay, uh, where he uh, very eagerly credited himself with all the glory. Um, <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix won uh, for his performance in Joker, which was was pretty well expected. Uh, it gave quite a profanity-laden speech. Um, I think two of the best moments, though, from, from the night really came from the honorary awards. Uh, Tom Hanks got a Lifetime Achievement Award, the Cecil B. DeMille Award, and Ellen DeGeneres was honored uh, with the new Carol Burnett Award for her achievements in television. Uh, and both of their speeches were fantastic and, and heartfelt. Uh, the montages that preceded them really, you know, just perfectly captured their careers. Uh, and they, they, they easily had two of the best moments of the night. Uh, Otherwise, I would say Michelle Williams far and away had the best acceptance speech simply because she really put herself out there and made it about uh, women and their right to choose, you know, and just being in charge of their own bodies and destinies and that kind of thing. Uh, And so, yeah, otherwise, you know, not not a super eventful night. Um, But, you know, like like I said, it's the Globes, so whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, HT or Chris, did you guys watch the Golden Globes at all?
1: Uh, I watched it, and um, I have basically the same reaction as Brad. I was the ceremony wasn't even that fun to watch because sometimes I enjoy watching the Golden Globes to see whatever drunken shenanigans the celebrities get up to, but mostly it was a little bit dull. And Ricky Gervais, Ricky Gervais' whole act of apath- aggressive apathy didn't play well. If no one wanted to be, no one wanted him to be there in the first place, so um, that, he was just. I, they should have just gone with a without a host like the Oscars did last year. Uh, but I was yeah surprised by a lot of the winners, especially the love for 1917. But then again, thinking about it, it was um it's very much the sort of safe choice because it's a war drama. It's from an established British director. So I guess in a sense, it's the the one that avoids the most discourse amongst like film Twitter, but it also is the most um, predictable of the Oscar choices. If we look at like past histories. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, um, I was really excited though, to see Aquafina win um, best actress in a musical or comedy, because I just think that she's phenomenal in The Farewell. And this was a big historical win, historic win for her too, because it's the first um, Asian actress to win for that category. And so that was really exciting. Awesome.
0: Uh, Chris, did you watch it?
2: No, I don't. I don't really watch award shows. I don't really care for them. They're not my <laughs> cup of tea. Even the Oscars, Chris? No, I I loathe the Oscars. I <laughs> I like to read the who wins the next day, but I hate the ceremony because there's always like. They always have to come out with like a song, and the song is terrible. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to sit through that. Just what about think. the What about the MTV Movie and TV Awards, Chris? Yeah, you gotta I, wait
1: for the Best Kiss category. Yes, yeah, so
2: I, I only tune in for the Best Kiss <laughs> and Best Sandwich Awards, and then I turn it off. <laughs> awesome, um,
0: Brad. Does it Does it sort of feel like the award season? Like the, we're only a month away from the Oscars.
3: Does it kind of feel like the award season is shorter this year than it was last year? I'm not sure if it's shorter or if the dates just happen to be condensed into a smaller window. Uh, and I'm not sure, but I, I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that the I think the Oscars are happening earlier this year than they normally do. So maybe it's just a condensed hmm. window for deadlines and whatnot, which which I guess would make the awards season shorter. Um, but but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because there's not really anything exciting this award season as far as competition, like. So far with the, what the, the guilds have announced as far as contenders and nominees, it's all been pretty predictable. We, like it, it seems like we know pretty much who the best picture nominees are going to be and probably the best director nominees as well, give or take, you know, maybe one or two slipping in or out. Yeah, I was
0: surprised. Um, we wrote up the Directors Guild nominees this morning, and I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. We don't have to get into a whole thing about that. But um, I was surprised that Todd Phillips was not on there for Joker because I sort of assumed that he was like um, – you know that he he was just going to be a standby you know like a, a a continuous presence throughout all of award season all the way up to the Oscars. and of course, we don't know what the nominations are going to be for the Oscars yet I'm so su- I would not be surprised to see him in there, but the idea that he wasn't in the directors Guild I was like, oh, interesting, okay because I think like the past six directors Guild winners have gone on to win best director at the Oscars. so I, um,
3: I saw
1: someone make the observation on Twitter that it's been. Uh, unusual how there hasn't been any sort of, you know, backlash or negative, uh, discussions amongst like with this oscar season like a lot of it has been actually quite positive uh you know barring some of the talk around joker but that's a movie that even every, a lot of people on this podcast really like and that has is mostly pretty like acclaimed amongst critics so it's a uh, it's interesting that like this season i wonder if it's like the reason that this season feels a little condensed is because people just like have nice things nice things to say about these movies
0: yeah i think that might be it like there's there's no yeah, I get that same sense, too. Like, there, there's no um, underhanded, like, uh, wheeling and dealing going on in the in the public eye the same way that there has been in recent years. Like, people, you know, digging up writers' old tweets and stuff like that. It, it doesn't feel like there's a concerted effort to, like, take down any particular movie or anything. So... Um, I think you're right I think it's just because generally speaking people tend to maybe like these movies a little bit more than some of the the crops that we've gotten in recent years but um, okay let's move on let's go over to the world of superheroes uh, and and deal with a superhero veteran who may be joining an entirely different superhero universe Chris tell us what the latest is in terms of uh, what's going on with the casting over the MCU.
2: Yeah, so we don't know who he's going to play, but a word on the street is that Christian Bale is in talks to join Thor Love and Thunder, which is the latest Thor film. And this is a big deal. Um, You know, this isn't the first time a, a DC actor moved to Marvel, of course, but this is like the biggest example I think uh, I can think of, honestly, because, you know, Christian Bale obviously played Batman for three movies. And it kind of felt like, oh, he's probably done with superhero movies, but apparently not. So he's, he's in talks to be in the new Thor movie. Uh, Brad, I have to ask you as like the comedy
0: guy, do you think that Christian Bale wants to get in on that sweet, sweet Taika Waititi comedy
3: action? Is that the draw here? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. You know, the, the thing with Christian Bale is, is every performance he's genuine. And I think with, with what's great about Taika's comedy is that it's not never really like, Uh, super heightened or overly goofy or anything like that it's a lot his characters play it uh, straight and and the actors give a performance that feels you know authentic and that's what makes the comedy work so well so I think if anything he's he's getting an actor who is really good at his job and always gives 100 110 percent of these performances and so whether it's comedy or drama I think Bale is just gonna you know be the right person for the job I think Jeff Goldblum and Thor Ragnarok would probably disagree with you
0: uh with your assessment there about not going heightened and, and over the top but, uh... but but even
3: even then though like I like that's a character who's I mean he's eccentric you know and I I don't I don't think that that's a, a per, like to me when I think of like over the top and goofy I'm thinking like Ace Ventura you mm-hmm. know or something like that you know so I feel like the when you when it, you think about like the that weird cosmic side of the Marvel universe I think that that, that fits into that
0: Um, Chris are you I mean I I know that you're a fan of Bale as an actor um, and like you said I I was kind of thinking that he might be done in the superhero realm as well but um, with the Thor movies in particular this seems like maybe a decent fit for him What, what do you think about him sort of slotting into the MCU in this particular franchise.
2: I think it could make it work. I know Christian Bale has this sort of reputation for being this, you know, serious actor, you know, especially cause he, you know, that viral audio where he yelled at a light guy for a full hour. But, um, <laughs> you know, he, when he does comedy, he's actually pretty funny. I mean, you know, I feel like no one talks about the movie American hustle anymore, but he's generally funny in that. And even like Ford versus Ferrari, he's having a lot of fun in that movie. He's not, He's using, like, his actual accent for once. He's not buried under prosthetics. He's just sort of playing a part, and you can tell he's having a blast with that role. So I feel like uh, with the right material, he can have fun. He just needs to, you know, align with the material. So I I think he'll be fun in this. I I, I guess, again, it depends on who he's playing. I'm just going to – I say in the piece, and I'm just guessing that he's probably going to be the villain because that seems to be, like – the most logical explanation, but who knows? I I don't really know who he could be playing and how big the part is.
0: H D, do you want to see Christian Bale as like a vamped up Kate Blanchett in Thor Ragnarok kind of uh, character, like somebody who who really is like swinging for the fences and just chewing the scenery up?
1: Oh, I definitely do. I think Christian Bale is waiting for that kind of role. And I think Taika Waititi is the perfect person to unleash that. Because um, I think he's just been so long being so serious about his craft, that he is just do a movie where he gets to be silly, and over the top. I mean, we see we saw that with you know, Daniel Craig, for example, in the, the Knives Out or, or Logan Lucky.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, I think it's a I think it's just about time that we get a, a a wild Christian Bale role.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good uh, comparison. And, and I guess that that's a good uh, transition into our next topic, which is Daniel Craig might be coming back for another Knives Out movie. What's the deal?
1: Yeah. So, according to the Hollywood Reporter, uh, who spoke to Ryan Johnson at a pre-Golden Globes party, Ryan Johnson is developing a Knives Out sequel, and Daniel Craig is interested in returning to the role of Benoit Blanc, the uh, very the southern Detective with a very, very deep fried accent. So uh, I, this is there are no details about this other than that, um, and Lionsgate has not confirmed whether they're they've greenlit or even have um you know are interested in a sequel. But with the box office success of the movie over the holidays, uh, I think it's probably a, a in due course, and um I'm really excited about the prospect of a Knives Out sequel, which. Um, it, it, is a great sort of standalone whodunit mystery, but the, it has a wide open, um, it has a lot of opportunities to just expand with, uh, just, following Benoit Blanc on a series of cases in the style of an Agatha Christie uh, Poirot kind of series. So it would be great just to see more star-studded casts appear and uh, Daniel Craig navigating them with increasingly ridiculous accents. So <laughs> that would be a lot of fun, I think.
0: Yeah, my only concern is that um, Ryan Johnson said that he had been developing Knives Out for about 10 years, and mm. this movie is obviously like you know you just said that he's in development on this one so we don't don't have any idea about like when exactly this is going to shoot or anything like that but my guess is he wants to make this relatively quickly um and and i just wonder i trust ryan johnson wholeheartedly um but i i wonder if like the uh, intricacies of a movie like this these these big murder mysteries um if it might benefit from a few years of tinkering around with um you know all the the structure and like the revelations and all that kind of stuff instead of like jumping right into it but um Mm -hmm. that that would be the only like remote hesitation i have because i i loved knives out and i i can't wait to see more of this so Um, let's just go ahead and jump over to talk of uh, another sequel. And this one way more unexpected because it was from a movie from, I think, 2014. Uh, Chris, what is Jessica Chastain teasing?
2: Yeah, I don't, I honestly don't know what to make of this, but someone on Twitter posted an old video of Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac at a Q and a and Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac. um, Well, first of all, they actually went to Juilliard together. So they have that in common, but also they were both in, the film, A Most Violent Year, which is a really great movie that a lot of people just didn't see. Um, uh, It it was not a box office hit at all, even by, you know, the loosest of standards. So it sort of like came and went. But on this Twitter comment, Jessica Chastain said that we might be seeing these characters again, which is, again, very strange because I can't imagine why they would green light a most violent year sequel. Um, uh, the, the first one came from a 24 uh, you know, they're, they're the mega indie studio at this point. So uh, we really don't know what she's hinting at here. My guess is maybe like a miniseries. I don't know for like Netflix, but I can't, I honestly can't see there being a feature film sequel to a movie that no one really remembers anymore, but I'd be happy to be wrong because I really liked the most violent year.
0: Yeah, it's a weird one, because I I just did a search while you're talking on uh, SlashMill.com for J.C. Shandor, the director of The Most Violent Year, and looked to see if he had any upcoming projects announced, and as far as we've written about, he doesn't have anything in the works. I'll have to check IMDb and make sure that there wasn't anything that we missed there, but um i wonder if he would be interested in returning to that world and those characters and like what what might even be a storyline there i mean i i liked that movie when i saw it but i, I think you're right chris it, it definitely did not leave much of a like a cultural imprint um ht did you see a most violent year by any chance
1: i can't say i have
0: brad did you see this one
3: I did, and I was kind of underwhelmed by it, actually. It was a movie that I was really looking forward to, and I ended up just not really connecting with it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean,
0: it, it's such a strange choice to bring back these characters, whatever, six years later or something. Um, and I think in Chastain's tweet, she was like we may be visiting these characters again soon. Like not even just again, like uh, someday in the, in the distant future. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll have to keep our eyes on this one, but uh, fascinating potential. Yeah, I there. wonder,
3: if, I wonder if we could maybe be looking at a situation where JC Chando is working on a different movie, but those characters somehow configure into it almost like the same way that, Uh, Michael Keaton played the same character in Jackie Brown and Out of Sight. That is really interesting. I think,
0: hmm... That would be very intriguing. The, the, the Shandor Cinematic Universe.
2: <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> man, I, that's, a, that's a cool thought. I like that. Uh, we'll have to see if that ends up coming to pass. Um, okay, let's move on to our next item, which is the new James Bond movie has found a new composer, H D, who is going to be providing the score for Bond 25, aka No Time to Die.
1: Hans Zimmer he's going to be lending his rock god chops uh to the new James Bond film No Time to Die. Uh he is reportedly taking over as composer for the uh the film after original composer Dan Romer, who was uh initially set to um compose st- score the film around summer last year was dismissed from the his uh position about a month ago. So uh Zimmer is um well, Dan Romer was initially brought on with, because of his uh, collaborations with director Kerry Fukunaga on Mani- Maniac and Beasts of No Nation. But um, according to a variety report, Hans Zimmer is going to be coming in last minute to score the film, which is coming out soon, April 2020. So there are some there's some speculation that uh, Zimmer might be bringing on uh, someone else to help him finish this score before the the film's release and uh, one of his potentially frequent collaborators like Benjamin Walfish or Lauren Belfi. Interesting.
0: I wonder if this is, because like you said, um, Fukunaga has worked with Romer a couple times before. I wonder if this is like a studio note, like, all right, you know, you had your chance to bring in your guy and score this and we don't really like what he did with it. So we're just bringing in on Zimmer um you know like an old reliable kind of option here
1: yeah that's the feeling that I get from it because there was really there was no explanation given for Romer's dismissal other than quote-unquote creative differences which is you know the usual explanation rolled out for these kind of things and but I kind of got the feeling that it was uh Romer's style wasn't really fitting what the studio wanted for a James Bond film um and they just decided to go with someone who was more uh associated with those kind of big bombastic action flicks
0: yeah and it's interesting too that like everybody's always talking about, like, Chris Nolan maybe directing a a Bond movie, or really wants to direct a Bond movie, and Hans Zimmer is, like, you know, one of Chris Nolan's most famous collaborators, and now he's stepping over into the Bond world, too, so. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, all right, let's move on to our last story of the day, which is a big rumor about the next Star Wars
3: saga. Brad, what do we know here? Well, we don't know a lot about the future of Star Wars, which is why rumors are kind of running rampant right now, Uh, especially since the future of Star Wars kind of got cut in half after D.B. Weiss and David Benioff uh, stepped away from the Star Wars series that they were working on, in addition to the separate trilogy that Johnson is supposed to be working on. Um, we're expecting some kind of a Star Wars announcement this month. At least that's what Kathleen Kennedy had previously said. We don't know when, if that's coming, or if that is still the plan. But a, making Star Wars, who's usually pretty good with their Star Wars scoops, uh, has been hearing rumors about the next Star Wars uh, saga, at the very least the next Star Wars movie, being set in an era that's being referred to as the High Republic era, which will take place 400 years before the timeline of the Skywalker saga. And that, that lines up with what we had heard previously from the, um, the Weiss and Benioff Star Wars series that was in the works. It was supposed to take place hundreds of years before the Skywalker saga and deal with a completely different era, so they didn't really have to worry about much continuity crossover or, you know, legacy Star Wars characters being involved and that kind of thing. But there's kind of an added layer of um, intrigue, I guess, if you will, here, because uh, the same report from Making Star Wars also references another report from this site, uh, 0.hu. Uh, and apparently they have they got a scoop about something that's happening in Lucasfilm Publishing called Project Luminous. And this is something that was announced at New York Comic Con early this year. It involves a bunch of comic writers like uh, Charles Sewell and Claudia Gray uh, and a few others who are working on this big uh, interconnected Star Wars story arc that's supposed to involve um, not just comics but books and video games. And uh, it was previously said this project was supposed to start um, kicking off this year. It's not clear if that's still the case, but this new, the new details that, that are about Project Luminous seem to think that it will actually kick off in 2021 with an all-new video game. And the idea is that this will kind of set up the world or lead into what the next era of Star Wars movies will be. And apparently these stories that are part of the the codenamed Project Luminous are supposed to follow Jedi heroes on numerous adventures as they uh, explore the, the unknown regions of the galaxy – Um, which are probably regions that we might be familiar with already, but were then unknown, you know, hundreds of years in the past. Mm -hmm. And they're they're supposed to encounter different kinds uh, of enemies, including some sort of ancient evil Sith gods. And so we would follow follow different versions of Jedi that have uh, various force powers and uh, different abilities, kind of like the Avengers. And the idea is that the next Star Wars saga will be an interconnected series of films that doesn't have a trilogy arc to it. The, the, the hope is that it will um, just be a series of films that continues to unfold, and the stories in them connect a lot like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hmm. Now, a lot of this is a rumor at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if that maybe the, the, a little bit more is being bitten off than they can chew as far as the scoops are concerned. Just because even though... The comics and all the video games and all that have to be canon now. Uh, over at Lucasfilm, there's still not a lot of overt connection to what happens in the movies with the comics, and I can't imagine Lucasfilm is going to hedge all their bets and have everything be so closely interconnected like that. Um, but the the idea of having the movies set so far in the past and you know and dealing with Jedi seems like you know uh, vague enough that it could could become true. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just we're in such a, an uncertain area right now as to what Star Wars would be like next. But C- Kathleen Kennedy did say that they did see themselves moving away from the trilogy format. So at the very least, that's something that also lines up with these reports. But, uh, yeah, like I said, this is, this is all rumors at this point. So take it with a grain of salt, and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it makes sense that they would want
0: to model their methods on the mcu because it's been so profitable and it's obviously under the same corporate umbrella and all of that stuff um chris does any of this sound uh promising to you now that like the skywalker saga has concluded um where do you stand on like your hopes for the future of star wars is this are you at a, a moment here where you're sort of like willing to or ready to um, take a step back from this franchise? Or are you like now now that this is, you know, uh, over and done with, you're excited about the future of what could happen?
2: Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of in like a apathetic place at the moment. I'm definitely not like against a new good Star Wars movie. If that happens, I'll be very excited. Um, as of now, I do. I do like that there's going to be a little downtime and uh, I kind of want that there to be even more downtime, but I guess that's not going to happen. But I, uh, I want to be excited again. Let me put it that way. I would like to
0: be excited. Uh, HT, same question. What do you, where do you stand on, on the whole star Wars thing right now?
1: I am interested. I'm on the same page as uh Chris, actually. I'm interested in seeing non Skywalker, related stories too i think that there's just such a big world out there and this world has felt so small because it's been relegated to one family drama (laughs) but um i yeah i i'm interested in this but yeah i i I think a break would be good for a while although i'm sure we'll be getting plenty of star wars content from here on out on disney plus and all the other mediums Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of, like, I think we've talked a lot about, like, how I would love for them to just go completely in a, a different direction and, and, you know, a different era. And um, 400 years before the Skywalker saga sounds good to me, until I remember that Yoda is, like, 900-something years old. And now I just am really scared that they're going to be like, ah, it's a 500-year-old Yoda now. and
1: Maybe we'll cause... get real baby Yoda, <laughs> and not I'm... fake baby Yoda. <laughs> that
0: is it's very true. I just I I long for a Lucasfilm to do something truly creative and and take a real chance and um you know not give us any connection whatsoever to Anything that we've seen before, and I just I don't know if they're like if they're driven so much by um, stockholders and expectations and things like that that they're able to to take a risk like that from a business perspective. Um, but Brad, I want to I want to wrap it up with you and bring it all the way back around to you and ask pose the same question that I was posing earlier. What do you what do you make of all this?
3: Yeah, I mean when it comes to continuing Star Wars, I I want the same thing. I I want to get away from the Skywalker saga. Um, I would even prefer to get away from the Jedi more a little bit because there's been there's been so much focus on Jedi and Sith. and I know people love Jedi and people love lightsabers and all that stuff. But the Star Wars universe uh, is big, and there's a lot of cool stories to be to be told. And as we've seen with you know the Mandalorian, which has been very successful and uh, pretty well received by critics for the most part, give or take, you know a few episodes here that weren't, you know fantastic. But it's it's digging into a completely different sect of Star Wars and giving us something where uh, the Jedi aren't really involved. You know, obviously Baby Yoda is present there, but it's it's a different approach to that. And so I, I think at the very least, it needs to be something that goes beyond, you know, Rebels versus Empire or Resistance versus First Order and Jedi versus Sith. It, it needs to be something different, and I, I hope that we can we can get something like that.
0: Yep. I think that's a good note to end on uh, for today's episode. So let's go around the circle and tell people where they can find more of our work online. Um, HC, let's start with you.
1: You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTrendBui. And actually, I'm going to add one more thing because someone uh, noted that I didn't mention this anymore on the podcast, but I also host my own podcast, The Millennial Falcon, which is still going.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can find it easily. Uh, Chris, where can
3: people find your work online?
2: Uh, I am at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413
3: Brad? Always on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton uh, and my own stupid podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms.
0: You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears, And you can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. I'm sure we'll get around to reading some of your emails one of these episodes pretty soon. Uh, Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word about the show, and thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow.